Well, as I mentioned earlier, uh, today is our grand opening, and it is packed in here. Um, so I just want to say, I know some of you guys are even on, on the bar stools and stuff. Um, we're glad that you're here, and uh, we are excited uh, to be in this community. Uh, we have two services now. We've gone to two services, and so um, next week, you know, we got two options for you at 9 and 10.30, but we, we do want you to come back uh, next week, and it might not be as crowded um, as we divide into two services. But uh, our church at Grace, uh, we are really all about helping people in four different areas. The first thing we want to do is help people discover truth, and then we want to help people decide on Jesus, and then we want to help people demonstrate change, and then we want to help people to deploy for others. Now, we totally understand and we totally know that there are people all over the place in this room right here, right now, that are, you know, all over the map here. Uh, some of you guys, you are looking for truth and you're, you know, you don't quite know what's truth yet. You haven't decided on that and you're just trying to figure things out and that's cool. Let me just say, we want you here. Uh, this, we, we teach truth, right? We don't, teach stuff that we came up with, we teach right out of the Bible because we believe that that is the only place where truth exists. And so um, you're on the right track. Keep coming, especially in the series that we are in um, for the next few weeks. Uh, we want to help you find that truth. But then there's others of you in this room who you've discovered truth. You've been going to church for a long time and, you, you know, you're, you believe in God and you're okay with God. Uh, but for you, you in all honesty, maybe you know it, maybe you don't know it, where you just haven't, you haven't decided on Jesus yet. Yeah, you haven't made that decision. Uh, you're still, you're still not sure or, or you think you have, but you actually haven't. And really, in all honesty, with, within Christianity, that's probably the hardest part, right? Because a lot of us, we don't like to, to hand over control because we like control of our life. And so we like to hold on to the way we want to do things instead of doing things God's way. And so for a lot of us, we're just kind of Holding still, we're like, yeah, maybe we just put it off saying, hey, you know, I'll, I'll figure that out some other time. All right, further on down the road. But then there's people in here who you've been a Christian for a long time. Maybe you know, older people, you've been a Christian for maybe 80 years or so. It, you know, it's been like something, you've been a Christian for um, all your, you know, all your life. And, or for most of your life, I'll say. And uh, you should be able to look back in your life and you should be able to look at a point where you made that decision to follow Jesus and you had discovered truth. And uh, you should be able to look and see where you have started to demonstrate change. Right, that needs to be a part. Us, uh, we as Christians, um, when we decide to follow Jesus, right there in an instant, the Bible tells us is that we change. And our lives should slowly begin to change. And not only should we demonstrate change, but we should also be deploying for others, meaning helping people find Jesus because we care about the people around us. And so people are all over the place. I know there's a lot of people who have all kinds of different types of questions about Christianity in general. And really, that's why we are beginning our series today called Why Believe? Uh, because we want to help you kind of answer some of the basic questions. And really, maybe the most basic question is that, is why should I believe? Why should I believe in God? Right, why should I believe that Jesus died for me? Or why should I believe the Bible? How do I know what the Bible says is true? It's an ancient, old, super old book. Why should I believe the Bible? Or why should I believe that Jesus was God? How do I know that God cares? See, we got a lot of questions. 
And all of us in here, if you're in here, you've probably been introduced to Christianity, you know, somehow. Maybe some of you guys have been a Christian for a long time. Some of you guys, this is all new to you. You're just trying to figure things out. Um, Because think about it, you're sitting here on a Sunday morning in church, all right? So you probably you have some sort of idea about what Christianity uh, is all about. And probably 95% of us in here, and there, you know, there might be a couple people that are like staunch atheists, and we're glad that you're here, that you should come, um, where you're like, yeah, I don't believe God exists, and I'm not changing my mind. But probably for 95% of us in here, um, we think we have a pretty good grasp on God. Or we feel like we know God. Yeah, I know God. I like God. God's cool. I believe. I believe in God. Uh, there's this guy I know named Mike Johnson, okay? Mike he lives in Greenville, South Carolina, and he's been a coach slash teacher slash athletic director for the last 26 years, okay, at uh, Southside Christian High School down there in Greenville. And uh, he's been actually very successful. He coaches uh, high, er, er, girls varsity basketball, and they've been pretty successful. And even af- as an athletic director, he's been successful, meaning that different teams from the school, uh, different sports have won state titles, which is which is pretty good. So he's good at what he does. Um, he, is, he was originally from Fenton, Michigan, and he graduated from Fenton High School, and unfortunately, he is a Michigan fan, all right? <laughs> Mike's a pretty good guy, but he's not perfect by any means, and he still has areas that he needs to work on, obviously. Um, Mike is married to his wife, Lori. They've been married for 35 years, going on 36 years, and uh, Lori she like, she's really into crocheting, and I'll be honest, and I know this is going to make me look really stupid to a lot of you guys, I don't know what crocheting is. It's like knitting, but kind of like sewing. You put it together, I don't know, maybe that's crocheting with yarn or sticks. I don't know. I don't know um, what that is, and I know some of you guys are judging me, but I'm a dude, and I'm a young, and so that's, that is what it is. Um, but she really likes to crochet, and she's good at it, and uh, she looks different this week than she did last week. Because she went and got herself a new hairstyle, haircut, because I guess, you know, women do that sometimes. I've had the same hair forever, um, and this is what I plan on dying with. And so don't need to change it up. Some guys are into that, but I'm not. Um, but uh, so she looks a little bit different, but it's all good because Mike likes it. So good there. Uh, Mike and Lori, they have three kids. They have two daughters and a son, and they are all in their 20s, and they've all left the house at this point. Um, which means Mike and Lori are empty nesters. And some of you guys know exactly how that feels. It's a little lonely. It's a little different. You know, your kids that you've had for, you know, 18, you know, maybe 20 years or so, you know, they're now out of the house, and that's how Mike and Lori feel. So sometimes in the, on the weekends, they will go to a nearby lake. They, got, they have friends that own a lake house there, and they'll go hang out. Um, at the lake on the weekends, enjoy each other's company. They do have two dogs, though. Actually, I take that back. They have one dog. One of their dogs named Val um, died last January, and it was super hard on the family. Val was 16 years old, though, so it was probably time for Val to go. You know what I'm talking about? It's a long time. Nobody thought that was good. Okay. Uh, Everybody's like, 16 years old, all right? The dog's ready. All right. But uh, so Val died in January, but they still got, and that was, that was hard on the family, but they still had this little white poofy dog um, named Mally, and uh, they love Mally. Mally, one weird thing about Mally is Mally likes to eat vegetables, which dogs I don't think are supposed to eat, but uh, maybe that's why dogs live so long in their house. I don't know, but Mally eats vegetables, and both Mike and Lori think that's pretty cute. Um, I'll be honest with you, I don't know Mike. 
All right, on Friday, I called my wife, Kate, and I said, hey, give me a random popular name. And she goes, yeah, Mike Johnson. And actually, she said it pretty quickly, let's say, and so I'm wondering, I'm like, who's Mike Johnson? How do you, where the, is that an ex-boyfriend or what's going on there? <laughs> Something, you know. And uh, so she says, Mike Johnson, so, and this is about to get a little creepy, but I go to Facebook, and I type in Mike Johnson in Facebook, and I start searching for Mike Johnsons, and there are a ton of Mike Johnsons out there. They are all over the place. There's a bunch of Mike Johnsons in Fremont. There's a bunch of Mike Johnsons in Toledo. There's a bunch of Mike Johnsons in, in, uh, in Tiffin. There might be Mike Johnsons in here. I don't know. Um, hopefully I'm not offending you by this. But uh, there's a lot of you out there. So I search and I have to scroll down through all the Mike Johnsons that I have no mutual friends with because I don't have any friends named Mike Johnson, but all of my friends apparently do. And so I scroll down and find somebody that I'm not connected to in any way. And I look at his Facebook page for about five minutes, and uh, that's what I could come up with in about five minutes. Now, this is where I'm going with, I know, a little creepy, but just roll with me here. Now, social, social psychologists would say that I don't know Mike. I just know about Mike. All right? And the honest truth is that the bulk of our relationships that's kind of what it is. The bulk of our relationships are we don't actually know the people. We just know a lot about them. All right? Especially in this world that we live in with, you know, online platforms like Facebook, Instagram, uh, Snapchat, Twitter, you know, all, all, those, all those things. It helps us know a lot about people, but we don't actually know people. We know a lot of information. We know a lot of facts, but we don't know them. I mean, think about it. If Mike walked in right now, walked in through those doors, first of all, it would be super awkward, all right? because we had never met before. But let's say he walked in. I could carry on a smooth conversation with Mike, right? I'd be like, hey, Mike, hey. Hey, I noticed the football team won on Friday. That's awesome. Go Sabres, you know? Or, uh, hey, how's Lori doing? I like that haircut. Again, kind of creepy. Or, you know, I could say something, hey, hey, Mike, um, I think Jim Harbaugh's going to get fired because Michigan's not looking too good this year. And he would totally understand. I could carry on a conversation with Mike. But that doesn't mean that I know Mike. See, social psychologists say that there is a difference between knowing about someone and knowing someone. I mean, in order for me to truly know Mike, I'd have to sit down with him and, and I'd have to get him to open up kind of what's going on on the inside. Yeah, I could know all the information about what he's done or what he says, but I have to know what's going on in here. I have to know his dreams. All right, his hopes, what he wants to do, his fears. I'd have to know what he loves and why or what he hates and why. You know, I have to know the things that, he, that we don't broadcast out in this world. We don't want people to know because we keep a lot of stuff to ourselves. And it would take time, but it would be a real relationship. See, as I've been doing this for the last 10 years, uh, being a pastor, I've talked to a lot of people, and a lot of people, you know, I ask them, hey, so when did you become a Christian? Like, you know, when did you start that relationship with God? And a lot of times, they'll answer something like, well, you know, I've, I've always been a Christian. I've always believed. See, I fear that we know a lot about God, but I wonder how many of us truly know God. See, the Bible tells us that God knows us, which is cool. I mean, that should, that should be something that, uh, you know, make us feel a little bit special, like God chose to know me, but it also should scare us a little bit, like, well, if God knows everything, you know, God knows everything. Like, he knows our deepest, darkest secrets. Even he, and he knows, you know, how messed up we truly are, right? 
He knows everything that we hide from this world, which is crazy because the Bible says he, even though he does that, he still loves us. And so today what I want to do is real quick, I'm going to look at a story in the New Testament, and we're going to look at an interaction that Jesus had with a woman um, that, she, in all honesty, had a lot to hide. And so we're going to, uh, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to John chapter 4, and uh, we'll start there in a second. John chapter 4, we'll start in verse 3. He says this, he, meaning Jesus, and actually Jesus is with his disciples. It says, he left Judea and went again into, or went again to Galilee, and he had to travel through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the property that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. All right, Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, he was worn out from his journey, and he sat down at the well, and it was about noon. That's going to be key in just a second. He says, a woman of Samaria came to draw water, and he says, give me a drink, Jesus said to her, because his disciples had gone into town to buy food. How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a Samaritan woman, she asked him. For Jews do not associate themselves with Samaritans. That doesn't happen. All right, so you can kind of picture what's going on. All right, this is setting the stage for, there's a lot really in here to unpack, but we're kind of setting stage for what's this conversation that he's about to have. So Jesus, he's traveling through this land of Samaria, and he comes to this small town, which happens to be the location of this old, like, super, super historic site to, to both Jews and Samaritans, this place called Jacob's Well. And we see this all the way back in the book of Genesis, 2,000 years before uh, Jacob, he bought some land from the people that were there, and he built a well, and it is still there. And this well is located about half a mile outside of town. So Jesus gets to the well before he gets to the town, and um, they've been traveling a long time, right? And Jesus is dirty, sweaty, thirsty, and tired. This is not how we picture Jesus usually. Right? Usually you see a picture of Jesus, you know, he's got the dress thing on, and you know, he's got the long flowing hair, and there's like a glow about him, and sometimes he's even holding a sheep. I don't know what that's, you know, I don't think he did that, but whatever. Um, you know, that's how we picture Jesus. You know, this perfect person, and, it, and he was perfect in one way, but he was also fully human. And so here, Jesus, he is tired. He's sweaty. He's dirty. And he's thirsty. I mean, I picture it as he's just like, I cannot go another step. You know, so he's like, disciples, you guys, I'm done. I am wiped out. You guys go ahead and go to town. I'm going to stay. I'm going to chill here at the well. I'm going to take a seat. I'm going to rest for a while. Go get some food. You know, and so they, they leave. And Jesus, he's sitting at this well. And probably these disciples pass this woman who's coming from town. And she's got this jar of water. And uh, she's coming actually to go to the well as well, and the, and the Bible, the author is very specific, John, he's saying, and it was about noon. And so back then when people are reading this, they're like, whoa, noon, that's weird. That's like super odd. Why is this woman going to the well at noon? Because people don't go to the well at noon, right? That's the hottest part of the day. Women would never go to the well at noon because it's the hottest part and no one else was, would be there. And usually what you do in that culture is you go to the well in the morning to grab water, and you go in the well in the evening when it was cooler to grab water. That's just the times you always go. That's, that's just what you do. That's part of society. And a lot of times the women, not only would they not go at noon, but they would always go in like packs, like groups. And that's, women still kind of do that these days. Uh, I've been, I worked with high school students for the last 10 years, and uh, whenever it seems like one girl has to go to the bathroom, it's like a whole flock of them go and 
going, you know, I don't know what that's all about, which is kind of interesting, though. I'm like, women still do that, or not all women, but at least teenage girls still do. It's different. Um, but uh, these people, these women, they would go to the well together, and, uh, it, you know, they would socialize and talk and, and hang out with each other. And so this is extremely odd. This is weird. This is different. This doesn't happen. And so most likely this lady, she had some public shame that she was embarrassed to be around people. And probably people were embarrassed to be around her. I mean, she's like a social outcast. She's at the bottom of the food chain. No one wanted to be associated with her. And she waits. And because of that, she, she waits as morning passes. And then when it gets to the hottest point of the part, part of the day, when she's, she's positive that no one else is going to be there. She's like, all right, now I'll go. It's part of what makes this story so shocking. And so she waits, and she goes alone. And this Jewish guy happens to be there. She doesn't know who he is. And she asks him, she asks, he asks her for a drink. And it surprises her. Because Jewish, I mean, men in that society, you wouldn't talk to a woman that you don't know. Not only that, Jews didn't talk to Samaritans. And this, that's what she said. She's like, how is it? She's like, What? You're talking to me? And she probably says it, my guess, how I would interpret it, is she says it with some attitude. You know what I mean? Like, whoa, 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 whoa. She says, how is it that you, a Jew, you're a Jew. We don't like Jews. Why is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me because I'm a, a Samaritan, strike one, and a woman, strike two? Now, it's hard for us in our society today to identify with what's going on here. Because the fact is that none of us in this room have had to experience the racism or sexism even close to the level at this time in history that this lady had to go through. See, Samaritans, you got to understand, Samaritans and Jews, they don't get along, right? which, is what, which is what John was just saying. They don't, they don't get along. Samaritans hated the Jews, and the Jews hated the Samaritans. And this, had lasted, this has been going on for like almost a thousand years. That's a long time to hate somebody. All right, but that's what's going on here. See... In 900 B.C., after the reign of Solomon, Solomon's son takes over uh, Israel, the country of Israel, and uh, the country literally splits in half. <clears throat> it's divided. Where you have the northern kingdom, which had 10 of the 12 tribes, named Israel. They kept the name Israel. And then the southern kingdom, which had the, uh, the capital city, Jerusalem, they, it was two tribes, and they called themselves Judah. All right? So you got northern kingdom Israel, southern kingdom Judah, and uh, ever since then, they had beef with each other. And it didn't take long for the northern kingdom to leave God for pagan religions. It didn't take long at all. And actually, the Bible tells us in the Old Testament that in 722 B.C. that God punished the northern kingdom, Israel, by allowing the Assyrian Empire, which was the dominant empire at the time, to come in and, and uh, conquer them, basically. And the Syrians were super smart because what they would do is when they would conquer a country, and this is what happened to the northern kingdom of Israel, is they would take from they took from Israel the best and the brightest people, and they took them to Assyria because they wanted the best and brightest people from all over the world to be in their capital city because that was what was best for them. But not only that, they would take some of their Assyrians, and the Assyrians would move into the area. And so really that would do a couple different things. It would wipe out their national identity because after gen a few generations of intermarrying, um, it would wipe out their national identity, but it would also wipe out their ethnic identity. And so that is what happened here uh, to Israel, and uh, they took, they built their own, um, their own temple in their capital city, Samaria, hence the word Samaritans, and, uh, and they made kind of their own religion. They took 
part of the Jewish Old Testament that they once believed. They took part of that and rejected some parts and added in some other parts. And really, they made their own religion, and they were kind of like a cult, if that makes sense. And so these people are there, and they're doing their thing. In the, in the southern kingdom, Judah would view the northern kingdom as sellouts and half-breeds. All right, meaning, oh, you're just part Jewish. You're not fully Jewish anymore because you've intermarried with all these different types of people. And you guys are sellouts. You're not actually part of us. And so the southern kingdom of Judah really viewed themselves as the only real Israel left, which kind of makes sense. And so this has been going on for a thousand years. And even at this point, Jesus, I mean, even at this point, the Jews, when they would travel, um, when they needed to get to the other side of Samaria, they would never travel through Samaria. Because, number one, it was dangerous. They might not come out alive because the Samaritan might kill them, right? But number two, they believed that even the land was just dirty and unclean. And so they're like, you know what, I'm not going through there because then I'm like, I'm like an un, I've been with these unclean people because we're better than them. That's how the Jewish people felt. And so they would take a six-day journey around Samaria. They would take six days out of their schedule just to walk around Samaria, now, this woman was a Samaritan. And so now you kind of get a glimpse of the situation that's going on here. And she cannot believe that this Jewish man is actually talking to her. Next verse says this. It says, Jesus answered, if you knew the gift of God and who is saying to you, give me a drink. She said, he says, you would ask him and he would give you living water. Okay. It says, sir, said the woman, you don't even have a bucket, and the well's deep. This doesn't make any sense. So where do you get this living water? You aren't greater than our father. By the way, she's taking a jab at the Jews right here. She's like, our father, Jacob, not your father, our father, because we're descendants of Jacob too. She said, you aren't greater than our father, Jacob, are you? See, he gave us the well, and he drank from it himself, as did his sons and livestock. Jesus said, everyone who drinks from this water will get thirsty again. But whoever drinks from the water that I will give him will never get thirsty again. In fact, the water I will give him will become a well of water springing up in him for eternal life. Sir, the woman said to him, all right, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to come here to draw water anymore. So they have this conversation. The, Jew, the, the lady, she's like, why are you talking to me? All right, let's just get this over with. Why are you a Jew? You're a Jew. You're a man. Why are you talking to me? I'm nobody, and I'm actually the outcast of my society. I'm like an outcast Samaritan, like the lowest of the low here. Why are you talking to me? And Jesus is like, hey, actually, if you knew who you were talking to, he doesn't answer the question. He says, you know, if, who, if you knew who you were talking to, you would be asking me for living water. And she's like, huh? Probably a lot of us in this room are like, huh? What's he talking about? She, she thinks she's talk, he's talking about H2O, but he has switched gears here. He's not. The lady's like, you don't even have a bucket. All right, you need a bucket, by the way. We're at a well. I don't know if you're tired from your journey or delirious. What's going on? And, uh, and, and so Jesus is basically saying this. He's saying, hey, I can give you something way better than water. Because I can give you eternal life. Like I could give you, I got this gift that I'm here and I'm giving to people that is way, way better than water the best gift you could ever have, something that could fulfill you, something that keeps giving and giving and giving and giving. And, and he kind of says that in a different way, and the lady's like, I don't know what you're talking about, but okay, I'm in. 
right, I'll take some of that. Yeah, give me this water so I don't have to come here when it's the hottest part of the day, where I don't have to be seen by people. Give me that water so you could come here, so I could come here, so I don't have to come here. And, and I'll take it, and it'll be good. And, and she says, I'm sold. That sounds good. I, I'll, I want that. I'll take it. By the way, usually as Christians, this is where we stop. Like when we're trying to talk to somebody, we're like, hey, you know, you should come to God. Uh, you know, you should work on your relationship. We're trying to, again, it's part of the deploy part that we're trying to help people do. We're trying to help people grow in their relationship with God. And usually when they say, yeah, we're like, great, we're done. Sweet. Cross them off my list. I'm good. You're good. Welcome to the family. I'll talk to you later. And that's usually where we stop. But we're going to see that's not where Jesus stops. Because the honest truth is that there are a lot of people in this room who are a lot like this lady. Meaning she's thinking, you know what, I don't understand everything that you're saying, but I'll take it. Sounds pretty good. Don't know. I'll take it. A lot of people in this room were thinking, I don't understand everything about God. Like, I'm okay with God. I don't understand everything. I like the idea of God, so yeah, I'm good, I guess. I'm good with God. I'm good with Jesus. But that is not where Jesus stops here. Actually, Jesus is about to make this conversation so awkward. All right, he says this in verse 16. He says, go call your husband. And what he's saying here is he's saying, hey, go call your husband. Um, I'll tell you how you could get this, like, awesome free gift that you don't fully understand and I haven't fully explained to you. Go call your husband. I'll just tell both of you. It'll be great. He says, go call your husband and come back here. And then she says, I don't have a husband. And she answered. And he says, you have correctly said, I don't have a husband, Jesus said. For you have had five husbands, and the man you're shacking up with now is not your husband. What you have said is true. All right, so he makes this conversation. I mean, this is awkward. It's an awkward conversation with. And basically what he's saying is, hey, go call your husband. I'll tell you both. And she's like, I don't have a husband. Off the hook. Just tell me right now. And he's like, hey, I just wanted you to know that I knew about that. I knew, I know, I know about that situation you got going on. And so when you said, I don't have, have a husband, I want you to know that I know what you said is true. Boom, roasted. Right there on the spot, right next to the well. All right, awkward. As in, and as I'm reading this, Throughout the, you know, throughout the week, I'm just like, why? Why go there? You know, why, why is Jesus going there with this woman? She just said yes. Like, she just said, okay, I'll take it. I'll, whatever you're talking about, I'll, I will take that. Why go there? See, Jesus wants a heck of a lot more than just your surface level yes. See, a lot of us in here, we're in the same boat as this woman where we feel like we're okay with God. But we have these things in our life that shouldn't be there. Maybe it's our deepest, darkest secret or whatever it is. Like this woman. And Jesus, he wants to get to the deepest parts of her life. See, that's really a problem that a lot of us have. We don't want to give up that thing. We got that thing in our life that we don't want to give up. We don't want to give to Jesus. And that thing could really be a variety of things. I mean, think about it. It could be our future plans. We're like, hey, God, um, 
I'll get right with you, but first I'm going to do this thing, and I'm going to, you know, maybe in a few years after I accomplish my, my goals or the majority of my goals, then I'll get right with you. I'll start going to church. I'll start doing, start doing your thing, all right? I, I'll, I'll believe. Or maybe it's like, maybe it's your kids. Maybe it's like, hey, you know, in your life, your life revolves around your children. Kids aren't bad. Kids are great. We should care about our kids. But when they, they should not be before God. You know, we're like, well, when I get my kids, when they get grown up and they get out of the house, then, then I'll, I'll figure out my situation with you, God. Or maybe it's getting that promotion or getting that dream house. All good things that are not wrong. But they get in, our, they get in the way of our relationship with God. Maybe it is a relationship. Maybe it's somebody who we're like, dude, I know I shouldn't be with this person and uh, I shouldn't be dating this person, but, but I love this person, so, so this is just how it is. Like, I'll, I'll, I'll figure it out later, God. Or maybe it's something that, that is wrong. Maybe it's something like pornography or alcohol that just keeps dragging us down. Or maybe it's just, maybe it's hatred or dislike for somebody who, who really wronged us and hurt us. They wronged us. But we can't let it go. Not until they pay. Or not until they know. See, we all, every single one of us, we all have these things in our life that get in the way of our relationship with God. And for many of us, we choose to hold that area to ourselves. We, choose, we don't want to give up control of that area. We choose to hold on to that area rather than go to God, rather than to hold on to God. See, this lady's thing was obviously, uh, was obviously that was pulling her away from God was men, right? Whether that was the sex part or maybe that was the, she just needed to feel loved. And she's trying to fulfill herself. She's trying to give her life meaning. She's trying to fill that gap. And so she goes jumping around from guy to guy to guy uh, looking for that thing that will fulfill her. And it doesn't take her long in this conversation for her to realize that this dude that she's talking to, this guy, knows her. And there's probably a super long silence after that. Like, think about it. What do you do? Oh, like if Jesus, you know, just told you your deepest, darkest thing, and you're like, how do you know that? You know, um, what do you do in her position? How do you recover? All right, this lady does what a lot of us have done. When we've gotten to an awkward conversation, she changes the subject. All right, how many of you have been in an awkward conversation which is clearly awkward, and somebody that you're talking to obviously changes the subject? Where it's like, you know, because that's never smooth, right? Okay, nobody that's been, all right, we got, we got one. Okay, <laughs> okay, four, all right. Um, but anyway, so she changes the subject. Check out what she says. She says, sir, the woman replied, I see that you're a prophet. What else do you say? Oh, you must be a prophet? Okay. She says, and then she changes it. She's like, well, our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews say that the place to worship is in Jerusalem. It's a, like this long thousand-year debate that they've had. Where's the right place to worship? What should we do? And so she brings up this long debate, or this, this ancient debate. And, and so Jesus says, believe me, woman, an hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. He's saying, you Samaritans, you worship what you do not know, but we, and we worship what we do know, because our salvation is, it is from the Jews. But he says, but now we're coming, and it is now here, this is key, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, yes, the Father wants such people to worship him. 
Right, so she changes the subject, and she brings up this topic of, hey, you know, uh, well, you know, what us and Jews always argue about, where, where's the right place to worship? And Jesus kind of deflects that, and he's like, you know, she's saying, who's right? And he's basically saying, hey, the Jews are right, but soon it's not going to matter. And what he's doing here is he's pointing towards his future death. He's like, soon it's not going to matter. He's like, you'll be able to worship anywhere. You don't have to go worship at the temple. You'll be able to worship anywhere, at any place, and any type of people will be able to worship God. Which is interesting because he's kind of referencing kind of what we're still doing here 2,000 years from this point today here in Tiffin. Coming together. We don't have to go to Jerusalem. We, we are here worshiping God together. And I think when he says this, this lady starts to get it. In verse 25, she says, the woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming. All right, so she pulled that out of the Old Testament, part of the Old Testament that, that they, that the Samaritans recognize as being scripture. So she says, I know that the Messiah is coming, who is called the Christ. And when he comes, he's going to explain everything to us. Like, I don't know if you're right, but this Messiah, he's coming, and we're waiting for him. And basically, Messiah just means Savior. So this Savior's going to come, and, and he's going to tell us what's up. He's going to tell us who's right or who's wrong. And Jesus says, hey, I, the one speaking to you, I'm the guy. He's saying, it's me. She starts to connect the dots. This man He's talking about something in the future. He's talking about this Savior, this Messiah, when he's going to come and he's going to show up and he's going to fix our relationship with God and he's going he's to fix this all problem that we have. And Jesus is like, yeah, you got it. Guess what? It's happening now and it's me. You're talking to him. And about that moment, the disciples, they come, they're coming back and they, they're coming along the road back with the food for Jesus and and the Bible tells us that they are amazed. They cannot believe it, that Jesus would be talking to a Samaritan woman. Like, oh, I guess we could do that. I thought that was wrong. Yeah, I don't know. And this woman, she runs back into town, and she tells the people, and remember, she's the outcast. No one wants to be around her, but she starts telling everybody that, about this Jesus guy. And the Bible tells us that the town invites him to come in, and Jesus and his disciples stay there for a couple days. And check out their reaction. After a couple days, it says, many more believe because of what he said. And then they told the woman, this woman that they rejected, this woman that they didn't want no part of, they said, hey, we no longer believe because of what you said to us, since we have heard for ourselves and know that this really is the Savior of the world. Not just Savior of the Jews, not just Savior of the Samaritans, Savior of the world. These guys got it. They're like, everybody's included. Everybody is included in this. See, Jesus, he didn't just know the facts about this lady. He knew her. He knew her innermost desires. He knew her heart. And he knows our hearts as well. So the reality is, God already knows us. But he wants us to know him. He wants us to know him. I mean, and think about it. What's crazy? He wants us to have a relationship with this God of the universe who's all-powerful, who's all-holy, who, who, you know, created everything, right? That God who created you just the way he wanted you to be, who knows us, who, he knows all of our junk. 
He knows all of our sin. He knows us better than we know ourselves. He knows everything that we've ever done wrong. And for some reason, I don't even understand it, for some reason, he still wants a relationship with us. He loved us so much that he came down to the earth, born in the dirt, literally in a barn. Our society would call that inhumane. He was born in a barn, and he spent his life helping people to know him. Actually, a few months after this conversation with this lady, he ends up dying a, maybe one of the most gruesome deaths ever on a Roman cross. Because we, as humans, we put him to death. But that was part of his plan. And so some people are out there going, well, why? Why do you have to die? Okay, that sounds, you know, crazy. Like, like what's the point of that? Well, you don't understand. Because God is perfectly holy. He cannot be with sin. We cannot have that relationship with, with all this sin. But on, on, the, on the other side of that, he's also perfectly just, meaning he has to punish wrong. That is the right thing for him to do. He has to punish wrong. When we do something wrong, and let's be honest, for, a lot, for all of us, we've all done millions of things. I mean, the Bible tells us even waking up with a bad attitude is wrong because we're supposed to have joy all the time. And there's a lot of people in here that are sinning right now in that way. Um, but, uh, you know... But, uh, you know, Bible's saying, hey, he knows everything that we've ever done wrong, and he paid for that when he died on the cross. He paid for it. Done. Why? Because he had to, pun- he, he had, he, it, it, he, it had to be paid for because he's perfectly just. He could not be perfectly just and not do that. Well, then, well, then why, why, why didn't he just make it so we can't sin? Why not do that? Why didn't he just make a perfect world? Well, actually, he did. And we screwed it up. Right? See, he had to give us also free will. Because think about it. A relationship is two-way street, meaning we have to choose him and he has to choose us. Could he have forced us to love him? Sure, probably. Is that real love? No. Could he have forced us to have a relationship with him? Sure. I'm sure he could. But is that a real relationship? No. We have to choose him, and he has to choose us, and he has already chosen to know us, and he does know us. And the question that really comes down to every single person throughout our lives, every single person on the planet has to go through this. The question is, do we want, do we choose to know him? Knowing a bunch of stuff about him, knowing about him, it's not good enough. It's not a real relationship. We have to know him. And he doesn't force us to do that. The reality is that God is begging for us all to start a relationship with him. And it's not good enough to know about him. He wants us to know him. And so I don't know where you guys are at today. There's a lot of new people and the room is packed and, and it's uncomfortable. I totally get it. But that is the most important decision that you could ever make in the entire life. And I guess my question to you is, Where are you at? Where are you at with God? Have you made that decision yet? Can you think to a point in your life where you're like, okay, yeah, this point I decided to follow Jesus. I gave my life over to him. And the Bible says all we have to do to start that relationship is simply ask. That's it. We just got to ask him. Invite him in. 
give our life over to him. And so this is what I want to do. I don't do this very often. Um, but I just want to lead you in a prayer that uh, if you haven't made that decision and you, want, and you want to do that today, which I would encourage you to, I just want to lead you in a prayer that's just asking uh, God to be a part of your life. So let's all close our eyes, um, bow your heads. We're almost done. It's not any set of magical words, all right? It's not anything that, you know, any weird thing that, that gets you to come. It's nothing like that. It's just us having a real conversation with God, asking him to be a part of our life. And, uh, and if you want to do that, just you can pray along with me silently. God, the Bible tells us God knows our every thought. It's just you and God in your heart. Something like this. Dear God, um, God, I know you came down and you saved me. God, I'm a sinner. I am messed up. And you know how messed up I am. And you still love me. That love that you have for me, it cost you something because you had to die for me. You punished yourself instead of punishing me. God, I want you in my life. I want to give my life over to you. I'm tired of doing life my way. I'm tired of, of trying to hold on to all these different things in my life that keep pulling me away from you. God, I want you to be a part of my life. I choose to know you because you chose to know me. God, I thank you for everything, and thank you for saving me. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.